for me this morning, I thought a great resolution for all of us to have here for this year is to learn to trust God in, in a more profound way and to learn to, to love God, to trust Him, and to obey Him more this year. So really, my theme here this morning is to trust God. And we're going to look at some key truths that we can have, learn from the Bible, how we can trust God better this year. Because we do live in tough times. We live in very difficult times. Things look like they're falling apart all around us. Um, let alone the daily struggles that we all have, just getting through a day with the challenges that are before us. But on a larger scale, it's a, it's a challenge to look at the news today and to read the newspapers. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, it's uh, my wife and I have had to pull back a little bit from, from look at, reading the news and just seeing what's going on in the world. We do, obviously, we do need to keep tabs to some degree what's happening in our world and our country but when you do look at the newspapers and the evening news, there's a lot of heartache and pain and, and grief to see the way things are going. Earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, famine, murders. Yes, unfortunately, that's part of the news. And some of the murders that we've had to deal with in this country this year is, is terrible. Many cases within the family. Husband coming home and killing his children and wife. Enough to grieve your heart. The threat of nuclear holocaust always hangs over our head. Another nuclear war. Just the instability around this world. So yes, we do live in t times of frustrations, anxieties, disappointments, worry. The plane of anniversary is such that we, it's a day-to-day -day thing. It's a, it becomes a day-to-day -day thing. And, and the question comes out, obviously, can we trust God? through all this. And even when life's going smoothly, when things go smoothly, we don't know the future though, do we? That's another thing. What's around the corner tomorrow? What's going to happen this year? And it's interesting how people spend a lot of money to visit psychics because people want to know the future, right? We want to know what's going to happen. What's going to happen to my life 20 years from now? What's going to happen five years from now? But we really don't know what a day brings forth. No one has we can look at this as almost like a thick curtain that hangs over our paths, a curtain that recedes before us as we advance step by step. None of us know what's beyond that curtain. None of us can tell what events a single day or an hour is going to bring in the future. Sometimes the receding curtain reveals events which are, are much expected, but often it reveals events most unexpected and frequently undesired. These events can frequently fill our hearts with anxiety, frustrations, heartache and grief. We have a loving Lord, but also as Christians, we are not immune to pain. I know there are many churches today that teach that if you give your life to the Lord, everything's going to be wonderful. No sickness, no pain, no suffering. We know that is not the truth. In fact, I think for Christians, our trials become even more profound and more difficult than non-believers. Remember the Apostle Paul, who prayed three times to get rid of the thorn in the flesh that God gave him. God literally gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble and to keep his eyes on the Lord. And I think many people say that could have possibly been a disability. We're not really sure what he had. But God used that in his life for good. But what I'm getting at is it's important that we learn to trust God despite our circumstances. And we want to obey him too. 
And it's important, both hands, it's important to, to learn to obey and trust God. When we fail to trust God, though, we are doubting his sovereignty and we're questioning his goodness. God views our distrust in him as disobedience. Turn to Psalm 78. We're going to look at the Israelites. You know, God was taking care of the Israelites, Psalm 78, 19 to 22. He was feeding them and giving them water in the desert. And yet they were still murmuring and complaining. They were not satisfied and they were not willing, really, at the end of the day, to trust God, even though he was providing for them faithfully in the desert. Verse 19, he says here, Then they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? And behold, he struck the rock. The waters gushed out. The streams were overflowing. Then they said, Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Here they are questioning God, even though he has been providing for them yet they still question him. And maybe if he doesn't send them the food when they want it, they begin to murmur and complain. Well, God answers them here in verse 21. He says, Therefore, the Lord heard and was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against him, against Jacob. And the anger was mounted against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust him. This is really, really where the rubber meets the road. And usually it's when we're going through t- tough times when our faith and our trust is tested. You know, there's no way our faith is going to be and trust is going to be tested until things are pulled out from underneath us and when things get difficult. And so when we trust God, it's, we have to learn to trust Him beyond, in spite of our circumstances. You know, this, the Scriptures teach us there are three essential truths about God and His truths that we must believe in if we're going to be able to trust Him, especially in difficult times. One is that God's love is perfect. Hard to understand, yes. Another is God's wisdom is infinite. Thirdly, though, God is completely sovereign. Completely sovereign. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning, is God's sovereignty. How, we, how that looks. So we're going to really try to work at look, getting a closer look at His sovereignty and what that all is. And we know it's interesting we talk about God's love and his wisdom. Someone has expressed these, these three truths as they write to us this way. God in his love wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring this about. And the sovereignty of God is almost every page of the Bible. Turn to Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3. If you want to know Lamentations, is right after Jeremiah. Lamentations 3, we're going to look at verses 37 to 38 as we start out here looking at God's sovereignty. We're going, to, we're going to basically be looking at five essential truths of God's sovereignty that I hope will encourage your hearts today and maybe even challenge some of you. But Lamentations 3, 37 to 38 goes like this. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass and thus the Lord has commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth. Good and ill go forth. Calamities and good things. We can struggle with this passage. Finding difficult except the fact that both calamities and good things come from God. Especially a God of love, allowing calamity. How does that happen? So these are some of the things that we're going to work through. Before I get into these points 
of, that we want to look at, important truths of God's sovereignty. Let's just look at what the world has to think about God. You know, we live in a world that refuses to acknowledge God. We see it all around us. So the doctrine of God's sovereignty is scarcely accepted among these people today. The world, for the most part, has ruled out the both creating acts of God and His providence. For them, all the events of the world are in the hands of, they would say, um, fate or chance. The general attitude is that they need to be prepared to play the hand that fate deals, that we are told to plan and prepare what fate is going to be dealt to us. This is the idea that some things happen for no reason. There's no randomness in the universe. Why a fire burns some homes and misses others is just basically pure luck. Earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, various other natural disasters are not acts of God. They're acts of nature. Nature is morally blind without values. So here we are, the world, what are we looking at? We're looking at randomness, luck, chase, and fate. This is modern man's question to an old age question, why? Of course, if we dismiss the, if we dismiss the whole idea of God, then what is the alternative? What's the alternative? Chance, fate, luck, maybe drinking, becoming alco- getting involved with alcohol and drugs, a way of escaping difficulties. We see a lot of that in our society. They say the last two or three years, alcoholism has gone up 30 to 40% in our country because people are having struggle dealing with this world. So this, the modern man has, and then we also have the issues of many churches believing that God created the universe and walked away and lets it run according to whatever. They call that uh, the deist view. And many Christians, unfortunately, we have many churches that teach this. They accept God as sovereign to a certain degree, but only to a certain point. They feel that God chooses not to exercise his sovereignty in other areas, just certain areas. Which areas are those? That's a good question to answer. If he's only picking and choosing which, what areas he's going to be sovereign in. Remember Matthew 10, 29. Quickly turn to Matthew 20, 10, 29. I think I read this last July when I was here. We were, we were talking about uh, God's, about worry and anxiety. And we were talking about how God takes care of the sparrows. And in Matthew 10, 29, it says here, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. We must understand that God's love for us does not necessarily protect us from pain and sorrow. No, it doesn't. But it's also true that all the occasions of pain and sorrow are under the absolute control of God. He doesn't walk away and leave us to struggle to some uncontrolled random or chance of events. There's a story of a husband who flew a private plane to another city to give his testimony at an evangelistic meeting. On the way home, he and his son ran into an electrical storm, and they crashed the plane. Both father and son were killed. Well, a Christian friend decided to come alongside the family and try to encourage them. And he said this, one thing you can be sure of that is God is, was, had no part in this accident. What this friend was basically saying that God apparently had turned his back on them when this plane crashed. Do we believe in the doctrine of chance and luck, or do we believe in the doctrine of divine providence? That is what we're looking at here. All right, this morning we're going to go through five important truths, essential truths of God's sovereignty. 
Hopefully we can get through these so we have time to do our communion. Number one, though, is God is in absolute control. And I'm going to have you all over the Bible, so forgive me. Have your Bibles ready, and we're going to be all over the Scriptures. God is in absolute control. He is sovereign. He does whatever He pleases, and He determines whether we can do what we can do and what we are planning on doing. No creature, person, or emptor can either thwart His will or act outside the bounds of His will. And fortunately, there have been many books written today by Christians and many things taught about God's sovereignty that are not accurate. One of you is called open theism. Maybe you've heard this. They believe that God does not know what is going to happen in the future. That's where the term open comes from. It means the future is open and not closed to God. And much of the truth that is is yet undecided, and hence it's unknown to God. They believe that God knows all the things can be known, but the future cannot be known because it's not happened yet. Future does not exist, and God cannot know it. And God only knows moment by moment what we do, and we do it. And His plans must be constantly adjusted to what actually happens. Others Christians also believe that God has a controlling hand to a certain point. To a certain point. These are dangerous views. It is essentially important that we realize that every single event in the universe that, that can occur outside of God's sovereign control puts us in a very precarious situation. And it makes it, it makes it very difficult for us to trust God. We may believe His love is infinite, but if His power is limited and His purposes be thwarted, how can we trust Him? God rules as surely on the earth as he does in heaven. He permits for reasons known to himself, many times only to himself, people to act contrary to in defiance of his revealed will. But he never permits them to act contrary to his own sovereign will. Just some scriptures we're going to look at here, talking about God's sovereignty. Let's turn to Proverbs 16.9. We're going to be in Proverbs and Psalms a lot this morning, by the way. Proverbs 16, 9. Talking about the sovereignty of God. It says here, the mind of man plans his ways and the Lord directs his steps. What we're saying here is that the sovereign God of the universe overrules the plans of man to fulfill his purposes. We might have our plans, but God might have a whole different plan. And I, I look at my own life. I graduated from seminary, was thinking about working at a small church, uh, ho- hopefully up in Oregon where my family lives, and kind of come alongside a pastor and learn under them. The Lord had other plans. I, I was going this direction. The Lord said, no, I want you to stay at Grace Community Church, and I want you to pastor the disabled ministry, which not, was not in my plans. But this is how God works in our lives. And I'm sure we could all relate to that here this morning, that God will direct us maybe in a different way than we were expecting. Doesn't mean that he's out of control. This is what, how God works. And it's important that we realize that he is in control. You don't have to turn here, but Proverbs 19.21 says, Many of the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Ecclesiastes, let's turn to Ecclesiastes 7.13. It's 
just go up a little bit past Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 7.13. says here, Consider the work of God who is able to straighten what he has bent. Man should consider God's activity because he is sovereign, decreeing and controlling everything under the sun. Everything under the sun. We make our plans, but those plans can succeed only when they are consistent with God's purpose for us. And no plan can succeed before him. No emperor, king, no supervisor, teacher, coach can speak and have it happen unless God has permitted this to happen. This should be an encouragement to us to realize it's this amazing God. And it's hard for us to understand this, his sovereignty. It's hard to really pack that in our, our little brains, his sovereignty. But this should be encouraged us to us to trust God and acknowledge his sovereignty in our lives, whatever good or bad happens. Are we going to have a trial that we can't handle? Are we going to experience ongoing pain that we can't deal with? Again, none of this can happen unless God has first decreed it. And there's so much injustice in our world today. I'm sure many of you have experienced even injustices in your work, where yeah, maybe among people that you know, in schools, let alone the injustices we're seeing in our, in our country with our leaders. And it hurts. It really breaks your heart to see this happening. Yet in the midst of all of this, we must believe that God is in control and sovereign and that thank the Lord that someday He will come back and judge all of this. He will judge all of it. Not only God is so sovereign over uh, evil acts of other people, He's also sovereign over the mistakes and failures of people. Did another driver go through a red light, strike your car, send you to the hospital with multiple fractures? Did a physician fail to detect your cancer in early stages when it would have been treatable? Did you end up with an incompetent instructor in a very important course in college or an up in a supervisor who blocked your career and business? These are tough things to deal with. All these circumstances are under the controlling hand of a sovereign God who is working them out of our lives for what? For good. For good. So no willful, willful, malicious acts, nor the unintended mistakes of people can thwart God's purpose for us. And in many times, God is using this for our good. Nothing is too small or trivial to escape the attention of God's sovereignty. Nothing is too great to be beyond the power and control of the Lord. So number one, we see we have an amazing God who's in control. Number two, second point here. This is, this is the issue that we can struggle with. God is not, his sovereignty is not always apparent. It's hard to see sometimes. One of the problems of the sovereign God is that it frequently does not appear that God is in control of the circumstances. And I think today in our world, if you backed up, took a step back to look at things, it's a mess. And yet, does that change the fact that God is in control? No, it doesn't. Yes, it's difficult to see his working through secondary causes and frail, sinful human beings such as we. And his sovereignty is marvelous. It's mysterious. It's a mysterious thing. that We're not going to be able to grasp it completely as he works these things out in our lives and the direct affairs that he has with people. For those who experience a terrible accident or, or terrible illness, maybe you lost a loved one recently, whatever it is, could God have prevented it? Yes. In his sovereignty, could God have changed the timing of this accident, even if it occurred? Yes. You know, it's really interesting, though. We'd be amazed how many times God has protected us over the years in our lives, and we didn't even know it. 
Sometimes maybe we do it in our cars and we almost get hit by a truck or something and all of a sudden we were able to get away. But what's amazing, we, we really realize how many times God has intervened in our lives in profound ways to protect us. Hundreds of times maybe, possibly. Psalm 121, three to four says, he will not let your foot slip. He watches over you. He will not slumber indeed. He who watches you over will neither sleep nor slumber. We can take comfort in those things. That God, even the little things in our lives, he is concerned about. Number three. Number three, does God, God does what he pleases. At the end of the day, God does what he pleases. Nothing can thwart it. Let's turn to, Psalm, to Job 42 too. And I'm sure all of you know the story of Job. He basically lost everything except for his wife who wasn't very encouraging to him. And then his friends tried to counsel him that didn't do a very good job. He didn't get the greatest counsel from his friends. But he struggled. He really struggled. Why, God? Why did this happen? Why did you take away all this from me? Why are you putting me through this? And in spite of the fact he never cursed God, but he questioned God a lot. Well, in the last few chapters of Job, God decided to give him a lecture on his, on his attributes. He's telling Job, were you there when I created the earth? Job, were you there when I created the animals? Were you there when I did this? Job, were you there when I did this? And Job was just listening. Job just stopped talking and just listened. Finally, in chapter 42 of Job, he finally gets to answer the Lord. After Job has been lecturing him for about three chapters. And he says here in verse 2 of Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've declared that which I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing every ear. By now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and repent in dust and ashes. This is an amazing statement. Job finally says, I understand you, God. Now I get it. Now I get it. And I see you with my eyes of faith now. I never did grasp your greatness, but now I do. I, gra- I grasp your greatness and your majesty and your sovereignty. And then he fell before the Lord and repented in dust and ashes forever questioning God. Psalm 115.3, you don't have to turn there. It says, our God in heaven does whatever he pleases. Isaiah 14, 27 says, For the Lord Almighty has purposed who can thwart him. His hand is stretched out and who can turn it back. We have an amazing God and we can really rejoice in that. How does God's sovereignty relate to our trusting him? This is what we're talking about. How does that work together in us trusting him? Well, the answer is that God does have a purpose and a direction and a plan for our lives. And God has the power to carry out that plan. Now, he might have to hit us on top of the head. He might have to put us through some difficult times to get us where he wants us to go. That's the problem. We're stubborn. We're sinful people. And God will use those difficult times to get us to where he wants us to be. It's almost the situation where he's the potter breaking the clay. The reason I got into my, the ministry that I'm in right now is because God broke me. In a situation in my life, a difficult situation in my life, he broke me. And uh, I look back now, and it was as difficult as it was. I thank the Lord for that, and that pushed me into the ministry. 
You know, our pastor John MacArthur has told the story. He was an athlete. Many of you might not know that. He was a very good football player, and he was a good baseball player, and he was interested in maybe making a career in baseball. But God had another plan for him. What did he do? He was on the freeway one day in his car, and he got in an accident and fell out of the car and flew, and I think he flew on his back 100 feet on the freeway, just sliding on the pavement on the back of on his back, scarred up his back really bad, didn't break anything. But the first thing that came to his mind when he got to the hospital was, okay, God, I get it now. You want me to be in the ministry? Because he'd been praying about what we, whether to get in the ministry or to play sports. And that initiated his seeking out the ministry and going to school and seminary. This is how God works in our lives because we are stubborn, sinful people. I am the worst of them all. But really, when it comes to God's sovereignty, it really becomes an issue of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we must live by faith and not by sight when it comes to trusting God. It's not always going to make sense of what we see and what we're looking at. It's a faith issue. Look at the story of Joseph. Joseph had a difficult life. His brother sold him into slavery, and he had quite an interesting life, a challenging life. But we turn to Genesis 45.8. Genesis 45.8. And we'll see how Joseph really got what was going on. He was, in, he was put into prison. He had a, a, a tough life. But when we look at Genesis 45.8, He says here, now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph realized as he looked back at his life that God had been working in his life through all of it to use it for good in his life. And you know, there's going to be a lot of ifs in our lives filled with ifs. But God is a God of no ifs. He never makes a mistake. His ways are perfect and he is trustworthy. Turn to the book of Ruth. Turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth is after Joshua, Judges, and then there's Ruth. And look at chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, how God brought Ruth and Boaz together. Sovereignty. It was, it was a work of God. And many of you out here that are married might relate to this little story here. How God maybe brought you and your wife together. We all have our stories. I have mine. Um, the story of Ruth is really about, though, again, Ruth marrying Boaz, and, beca- and Ruth became the great, by the way, the great-grandmother of King David, one of the four women listed in Matthew's record of genealogy. But in Ruth 2, we're going to look at four things here, four key events that occurred that brought Ruth and Boaz together as a couple. Number one, the right location. We see that in verse 3 of Ruth 2. It says, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. The right location. She, Ruth is in the field. God brings Boaz in her direction. Number two, the right timing. We see that in verse four. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. The Lord is getting Boaz's attention here. And there's a young woman there that is really drunk going to draw his attention here as we go to verse 5. So we see the right location, the right timing. Number three, God gets Boaz's attention to this woman. 
in verse 5. Then Boaz went to, said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? He's noticing this woman. And then 4, Boaz responds favorably to Ruth in verses 8 to 10. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, do not glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay there with the maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what they, the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz did found favor in her, and he married her. Some would say this is just kind of a coincidence and a romantic story, but no, this is, this is God and his character. He does not fail. He's a sovereign hand, and he ranges these circumstances to accomplish his purposes. All right, we're going to go to number four now. We've seen that God is in control of everything. We see that, that uh, God also uh, brings, up, is, is, brings about events in our lives that, will, that cause us to, to trust him. And then his sovereignty is not always apparent, but here... Number four, we're going to see the fact that God also is sovereign over people. This is the hardest one to understand, I think. The sovereignty over people, kings, rulers. In the book of Exodus, we see how God intervened in Pharaoh. Pharaoh was determined to destroy the Israelites, but God worked on this man's heart. He eventually let them go. He let them go, and then God was so amazingly was able to get them out of the land of Egypt. A great story. I opened the Red Sea and all the amazing miracles that he did. You know, we live our lives, though. We, we live lives, and, we're, and our futures are, are in the hands of people, right? Our bosses, our teachers, people that we're underneath. We have people that are over us in our lives. A boss, obviously, is for many of us. And from a human perspective, we're at the mercy of these people and their decisions and actions. And unfortunately, many of their decisions are wicked and evil, especially as we see our political leaders today. And they were, infect, were affected in significant ways. It can be a, a difficult time to trust these people who are evil and don't want to do evil things. But the question is not whether we're going to trust these people or are we going to trust God. Is he going to use these people in our lives to bring about good? Can we look at that situation from that perspective, that even though we're being mistreated or injustice is being uh, poured about in our lives, can we still look at that and say, you know what, I'm going to trust God in this and see what he's going to do. How does, how's, and it's amazing when we see how God can intervene in the hearts of men and rulers, and he can to direct them to whatever he wants them to do. And this is a very debated topic today. But we cannot ignore what the Bible has to say. If God is not sovereign in decisions and acts as a people, then we're in real trouble, and we cannot trust him. We cannot trust him. Turn to Proverbs 21.1. Proverbs 21.1. Talking about rulers, how God can have control. Proverbs 21.1. says here, this king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Wow, that's amazing. A powerful ruler 
And God can change that heart and change him and move him in a different direction. The stubborn heart of a powerful king. can be directed by God as easily as a farmer that directs the flow of water in irrigational canals. Turn to Ezra 1. I'm going to places in the Bible where maybe a lot of you never get to. I believe Ezra's after Chronicles. Ezra, and we're going to look at chapter 1, just the beginning of the book. Cyrus is wanting to bring the people back. And God is really working in Cyrus's life. The Lord had prophesied in verse 1. Let me read verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Basically, he changed the attitude of Cyrus. He worked in his heart. And Cyrus was not a believer. And yet God worked on his heart. And directed him and caused him to make some decisions here. And it was all the Lord's working. It says the Lord stirred up. It's a strong expression of the fact that God is sovereignly working in the lives of kings to affect his purposes. To affect his purposes. That's amazing. Also in Daniel 1.9, you don't have to turn there, but God caused the official to show favor to sympathy to Daniel. Daniel really uh, did not want to eat certain foods. He felt they would defile himself. And he, he, did, he refused to eat those foods, and he thought he was going to get in a lot of trouble. Yet God worked on the official that was over that specific ministry, and he favored Daniel. And the chief official changed his heart and views on how to approach Daniel in that situation. That was another a work of the God. Sometimes God may restrain leaders and rulers. We look at uh, Genesis 20, verse 6. We look at the time when, remember when Abraham lied about, his, about Sarah? He said that she was his sister, and, and he lied about it. And because of that, the king wanted to have an affair. King Abimelech, if I'm pronouncing his name right, forgive me. Abimelech, there, I got it right that time. But he said, God says in verse 20, verse 6 here that, I'll read verse 20, verse 6. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that in the trigger of your heart you have done this and I've also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I do not let you touch her. He would not let the king touch Sarah even though Abraham had lied and said that she was his sister. God did not physically restrain him, but he restrained him through the mind. He caused him to change his mind and not have, not touch Sarah, protected her. Now Abraham was still accountable for lying. It was not right what he did. And he was still held accountable for that. Number five here. So we've got, this is the fifth importance of God's sovereignty that we need to understand. That God permits evil. And I think that's another area where people struggle with. How can a loving God permit evil and allow evil when he's a loving and good God? Yet, we see in the Old Testament many times when he allowed wicked nations to come down and destroy Israel. 
And that's how he dealt with Israel. We don't know all the specifics about that, but we see how God will, will, strain, will strain some evil countries and he will use evil people for his own purposes. God is infinite in his wisdom and love and desires that good will ultimately come from these situations. Again, remember Joseph was tr- mistreated by his brothers. We talked about that a little bit earlier. And yet at the end of the day, in Gen- Genesis 50, 20, it says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result for to serve many people. And God sometimes will even move in hearts people to, act, to make them act stubbornly. He will harden their hearts and make them become even more wicked and evil. Joshua 11.20 says it's the Lord that hardens the hearts of rulers at times. We see a lot of hard-hearted rulers in our world today, don't we? (laughs) That are doing a lot of wicked and evil things, and God is allowing that for his purposes. And God, it's not a difficult thing for a move on the heart of someone. This is what God does. He moves on our hearts, doesn't he, as Christians at times also. He moved on our hearts to save us. He moved on our hearts when we became Christians. So God can do what he wants, and he does it at the end of the day for what he feels is best and what he feels is good. Isaiah says that he brings light and darkness into this world. He brings prosperity, and he also creates disasters. This is the work of our God. Well, in closing here, I just want to go over some things to really encourage your hearts because it is hard for us, my little pea brain here, to really put our arms around God's sovereignty. We hear the truths here that I'm sharing, but it's still difficult to grasp these truths. First, I just want to share a few things, problems of God's sovereignty that we can all have with God's sovereignty. Because His ways are infinite as well as His being, Our finite minds simply cannot comprehend an infinite holy God. We have to admit, how can we understand a God that is all-knowing, everywhere at all times, all-powerful, all-loving, infinite, knowing the beginning from the end, knowing our hearts better than we know ourselves? How do we understand a God like that? It's difficult. Let's look at Romans 11. That really describes what I'm talking about here. Romans 11. Towards the end of Romans 11, I'm sure you're all familiar with this verse, verse 33 to 36 in Romans 11. <clears throat> oh, the depths of the riches of both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who knows the mind of the Lord or even became his counselor? Or who was first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. God's wisdom is beyond us. His purposes and decrees are way beyond our understanding. And again, it becomes an issue of faith. Not sight, but faith. Also, the Bible portrays portrays people as making real choices of their own will But the Bible does not suggest that we are created to be mindless puppets either. He doesn't have us on a string and we're just kind of robots and puppets here. We have our own choices and moral choices that we need to be made as Christians. And we're accountable to God for those choices that we make. 
You know, the actions of Pilate, Judas, and Herod were all wicked acts. As they were, although they were done under the sovereign hand of God, but they weren't. We talked about the selling of Joseph into slavery by his wicked brothers. The Bible teaches both God's sovereignty and free moral choices of men and women. How that all plays together, we can all scratch our heads on that one. But that's what the Bible says, and we're going to trust the Lord about that. Also, just some words of caution here. Words of caution. We should never use the, word, the doctrine of sovereignty for our shortcomings. We never should, should use that as an excuse. Oh, God's sovereign. I just did that because he was sovereign. Let's say we were fired or laid off or failed, failed an exam or we need to look at our hearts to see if the reason for struggling was with our own performance. Not just be quick to say, well, God was sovereign that I failed that test. Though God rescued Abraham and Sarah from fall of Abraham's sin, he had not obligated himself to do so. God has not promised to work in the heart of another individual just to make it good for our shortcomings or to make excuses for our shortcomings. Also, we should never allow the doctor's sovereignty to make us responsible passively to the action of people on us. If we're having problems with our boss or problems with somebody in our lives, we need to go to them as Christians, we go to them in love and try to work out those differences. Forgive them. Sometimes we need to forgive others to be reconciled to them. Instead of just saying, oh, this is just God's sovereignty, what happened. Also, we, should, we never should use the doctrine of sovereignty to excuse our own sinful actions, our own decisions that could hurt another person. We don't ever allow ourselves to think that we made a mistake because it's okay, it's, it's okay with God because he's sovereign. God's going to hold us accountable for our harmful decisions and actions that we make. Deuteronomy 29 to 29, again, similar to what we read in Romans 11. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we preserve all the words of the law. God has not revealed all that he could and disclosed to us. What he has is unveiled his sufficiency and standards for salvation. While there are, there are secret things unknown, believers will be held accountable to obey what they do know, what we have learned from God's word. But God does accomplish purposes, and sometimes we are not going to understand all of that. But we know one thing, that he is a good God, and he knows what he's doing, and we can trust him. I get a lot of people that call me on the phone and are struggling with a terrible situation that they've gone through. And I, I really just have to tell them, you know what? Is God good? Is he in control? Can you trust him? Those are the questions that we need to answer. Yes, yes, yes. I don't understand it all. Like Job didn't understand it, but we can trust him. He's a good God. And he knows what he's doing and he's working it out for our good and for his glory. So what should our response to be to all this this morning as we're talking about God's sovereignty, trying to understand this amazing work of God? What should our response be? Well, our response should be the fact that God is able and does, in fact, more in the minds of hearts and people to accomplish his will than we can even imagine. He does an amazing work here in the hearts and minds of people. He's in the work of doing that. And our first response should be of trust. Our lives, our careers, our bosses, our commanding officers, professors, coaches, our p- 
political leaders, and all other people that affect our lives are in the hands of a sovereign God. We can entrust our lives to them and trust God that He's going to work out what's best. Nothing can take away what God has planned for our lives. Because of this, we should look to God in prayer all, as much as we can in our lives. Trust Him and not put our hope in, in, in people and in individuals. We do not always want to know how God does these things. He might not, we might not always understand it, but we want to become men and women of prayer and trust God that He's going to move on the heart of someone that maybe has mistreated us. But at the end of the day, whatever struggles we've had with that person, God is going to use it for good. Trusting God's starting lives of people should also keep us from becoming resentful and bitter when we are treated unjustly. That's a hard one. We can get bitter. Maybe we were, we were treated unjustly, fired from a job, or um, our boss, we're not treated well at work. Maybe we're not treated well with people that we work with. God uses these people to treat us unjustly for his own good and his own purposes. And it could affect our lives, our careers, our, our, a lot of things. But at the end of the day, he never makes a mistake. He undermines these plans that we may have for his good. He knows what's best for us. We're his children. Zephaniah 3.17 states that God delights in us. And then I want to close in reading, reading Romans 8. Romans 8, towards the end. One of my favorite sections of the Bible. Romans 8, starting in verse 28. We'll just read through. Hope this will encourage your hearts here. Romans 8.28, we already kind of, I referenced it a little earlier. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Uses it again. And most of these things in here he's talking about is suffering and trials and difficulties. He uses those for good. Then we go on to verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He would be the firstborn among them. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. This is all the working of God, our salvation. Then it says, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? There may be people against us, but if God is for us, that's all that's important. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he was raised, the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. And then he closes off by saying this amazing section here. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loves us. And for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. 
We can rest on that truth. Whatever happens in our lives, whatever circumstances we go through, the difficulties that are before us, this is a great section to look at, that God still loves us and is working in our lives. And we can praise God for that and thank Him. I want to close by just reading, a, sharing a story real quick about a, during World War II, there were, there were a thousand Allied prisoners during World War II, many of whom were called Christians. There were many Christians that fought in World War II. But one time, there was one of the American bombers took off from the island of Guam, headed for Kokuro, Japan, with deadly cargo. Um, because the clouds covered the, dark, the targeted area, they couldn't bomb. They circled around for a while, but after a while, their fuel was getting low and they had to leave. So they went to their second plan B. They played, went and bombed a certain, another area. Well, later on, our officer received some startling information from an artillery officer. Just one week before the bombing mission, the Japanese had transferred one of the largest concentrations of captors, captive Americans to the city of Kokura. That was the city they were supposed to bomb. There were thousands of captured, captured Americans that were brought to that city. And yet this cloud was over this city and they couldn't bomb it. Upon reading this, the officer exclaimed, thank God for that protecting cloud. If that city hadn't been hidden from that bomber, it would have destroyed thousands and thousands of American boys. Thank God for his ways. Thank God for his protection and his sovereignty in our lives. We praise God for his work that he does. Let's pray. Father, we are again thankful this morning to really talk about a different, uh, difficult, difficult um, God who is sovereign and how we can struggle with understanding that. But at the end of the day, Lord, we have to believe your word and what you say. He knows the hearts of everyone and he will do whatever it takes to bring good and to direct our lives to where he wants them to go. And a lot of times that's through evil things, through wickedness, through wicked rulers, wicked bosses. Yet, Lord, we know that you use all these things for good, and we praise you and thank you for that. Lord, if nothing else this year, as, we go, as now we're into 2023, help us to be men and women that trust you and not allow the circumstances or other people to control us. And realize, again, our hope is not in people. It's not in our government, but it's in you. And you will work out what it takes to accomplish your good in our lives. Help us to trust you with that. In Jesus' name, amen.